What's up? This is Matt Franco. And this is Eric Dittleman. Welcome to Mind Over Magic. It's episode 88. Woke up this morning, made a little cup of coffee. Happy to sit down and share it with you, buddy. What's going on with you? I am also drinking a coffee, but uh, yeah, I think uh, we're, we're in store for a fun episode. I'm looking forward to catching up. I also like that we just uh, talked about our you know morning drinking coffee habits. Yeah, <laughs> and I felt a little weird saying I was sharing it with you because obviously I'm not because you're in New York. Yeah. I'm in Vegas, so we're not literally sharing it, but like we're having conversation over coffee. Yeah. And that's where the over comes in. <laughs> that mind is over magic. There's the over from mind over magic. <laughs> Finally, it's it's been solved after 88 episodes. <laughs> magic over coffee, if you will. Uh, you went to a magic convention, dude, and it was the first one I ever went to after sort of finishing college and stuff. And I was like really excited to take a deep dive back into magic once I finished school. Nemcon was the very first one I had gone to. Yeah. Um, and it was the 30th. This was the 40th. Yes, this was so the they've been doing this thing 40 years. 40, yeah. And, and this is one of the first magic conventions I went to, too. And more, Ever? Im- more importantly, I think it's the first uh, I went consistently to. I don't know if it was yeah. the first one I ever went to, but it was definitely among the first. And I well, don't you and I hung many. out at the one that I went to when I went that first one. Yeah, and there's still attendees that come to NEMCON that like to bring that up. Like, they were like... There's one guy in particular who's just like, hey, I remember walking through the hall and these two young guys were just like jamming in the corner and talking magic and showing some moves and, you know, talking about certain things. And they're like, and then they both ended up on a television show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm constantly. So when I get back there, they always like to remind me like of the early days before well, any of that TV stuff happened. It was. I know that it was 10 years ago because it was number 30, and I'll never forget it because at a magic convention, like any convention, they give you a lanyard and a name badge, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And it was the 30th one, and they decided to go with Roman numerals because those are cool, right? Yeah. So that means that the name badge said Nemcon XXX. Yes, the the dirty version of the magic convention. Well, it was just the funniest <laughs> thing because I'll, I'll never forget, like, uh, Tiana, and I, Tiana and I had just met at the time pretty much mm-hmm. um, and she had come to my house for the first time and been like what is Nemcon XXX and why do you have this out hanging up <laughs> yeah so I had to you know explain well it's number 30 it's a magic thing so anyway I'm really jealous that you were there yeah it was fun it was I uh, they they've added kind of these uh, performances the night before I was unfortunately not able to make that because I had a gig uh, that was also in Connecticut um, that was like a comedy night. That was kind of fun because they built it as a comedy night, but it was a comedian and me performing as like the headliner. And I had to make sure my opener uh, like told the audience like, this is you. You just came in expecting only comedy, but get get ready because there's going to be an interactive element of a mind reading right. show happening in the second half. You know, so mm-hmm. um, it's just kind of um, uh, playing with expectations and making sure that people are aware. So then after that gig, which was a lot of fun by the way, um, I went to uh, you know up to the Nemcon convention. I had missed the the performance, like the separate performance that they do the night before. Uh, but then I was there for the whole one-day convention, starting up real early in the morning, a 9 a.m. close-up show. 
which nice you know you're wide awake for a 9 a.m performance even the performers were not quite awake and seemed but they were they did a great job and uh, it's tricky the, in what, what a backhanded compliment what do you mean <laughs> well no there was even a, the performers weren't really awake but you know what they did a great job <laughs> no they actually did there was a <laughs> there was a couple like little uh little flubs but you play with that in the moment and it's good to see people uh you know kind of uh go with the flow especially you have to amongst flub at that time in the morning yeah. it's not meant to be done at that time in the morning you're not awake yet you're not mentally processing performers perform at night usually for a reason <laughs> right right <laughs> But um, what's interesting about the close-up show is it's sort of not a close-up show. It's done on stage with cameras and a whole large audience. Right. So it's right. essentially you're doing a parlor or stage version of a close-up effect anyway. But um, There's a lot of lingo being thrown around here. Now, I, I know mm-hmm. we have new people jumping on board all the yeah. time, and this is episode 88. But if, if this is your first episode jumping in, and, and maybe you've never been to a magic convention and don't know what that really is... How would you concisely describe a magic convention in, you know, the most layman terms possible? Um, it's like a professional development trade show. Oh, you're making it sound like a whole. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Go ahead. There's a professional development trade show. That's not where I would have gone with it, but that's kind of how see. I, you know, any sort of convention. You got to know what a convention is first, right? Yeah, but generally at magic convention conventions, you see. I mean, it's almost more got like a. You'll see like people dressed up as wizards at times. Oh, I, oh. I wasn't talking about the clientele. I was just talking about the structure first. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, Hit yeah. me with the structure. So it's um, it's basically you know performers get up and they lecture or well they perform so you can see what other people are kind of how they're approaching the art form and and it's not loosey-goosey they're right. booked to be there ahead of time mm-hmm. so like when people Presenters, sign up to register yeah. to attend they know oh wow these are the 10 or 20 performers that are hired to be there yeah but in this case a one-day convention like you know five performers. whatever it <laughs> yeah, is. yeah yeah sure because <laughs> <laughs> if they had 20 boy this would be a long day uh, or they just do really short sets uh but uh what happens is they usually perform like we did a close-up show. I wasn't performing, by the way. I was just an attendee. Uh, but they did a performing, uh, like a close-up show. But then they have slots where they lecture and they tell, you know, the pieces that they worked on and kind of demonstrate uh, what, uh, how it's done. And usually there's, like, some products to buy. So if you don't want to, like, take notes, you could buy the lecture notes or you can buy whatever products they have on the market. Um other lecturers don't like doing that kind of show you something, teach you something, and some kind of tackle larger topics. Um, Ossie Wynn did a great lecture about how to approach mentalism in certain ways, which was really, really nice in his kind of style of that, which I really enjoyed. And he's very phenomenal. And um, Garrett Thomas he is. wrote uh, uh, did an amazing lecture that's still kind of stuck in my mind about because um, we've been talking about creativity here a lot on the uh, the, the podcast about how to uh, have a goal of the simplest effect, but also it's most effective when the presentation around it is simple. Because if the idea you're trying to convey is too complicated, uh, you can't really get that across easily. And he did this all with drawings of images using negative space as a metaphor. And it was really, really well done. I don't want to go too far into the detail, mostly because I can't recreate it as eloquently as he did. But uh, if you ever get a chance to see Garrett Thomas do his lecture about simple magic presentation, yeah, it's well worth it. So 
there's that element of the convention. Then there's like the the trade show convention part of it, which is like the dealer's room where you can go and see all the magic suppliers who are selling books or tricks or whatever like that. And they'll they're just in there the whole time and they're demoing things for people and hawking their wares, so to speak. But the real reason to go to these conventions is the outside, what happens in the hallways or the bar or the hangouts, because that's where you're networking, meeting people and jamming. Sessioning. There were some impromptu sessions from Eric DeCamps and Paul Gertner, who just like sat at a table in the hall and just everyone gathered around and watched them perform. And it was like really fun and amazing to watch. So Yeah, the casual little mm-hmm. outbreak sessions. Those were always great. And then they close off the whole night with a big gala show. They usually open it up to the public so they can sell tickets. So uh, it's just a show to feature all the uh, presenters from the day. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And they got to honor our good buddy, Jim Spinato. Uh, Shout out Jim Spinato. Also, that was the first time uh, I met Jim was at NEMCON. Absolutely. Yeah. And they had a video tribute to Jim where I was in it, you were in it. Now, I got a little flack because they were like, oh, we wouldn't have shown yours if we knew you were going to be here. And I was like, nowhere in the email did it say, only <laughs> send a video if you're not going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but, uh, you, you, yeah, yours ended the whole montage. and uh, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, gave a whole... Did uh, I mention the Nemcon XXX thing, by the way? I think you did, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, remember, I mean, I filmed it quite some time ago, <laughs> so I wasn't sure. Um now, from a distance, now right. we, we love these magic conventions. From a distance, if someone's kind of walking by and not in the weeds of it, would there be elements to it where people go, yeah, that's a pretty accurate depiction of magic when they watch like Arrested Development and they see Joe Bluth? There are some people wearing like the card ties and the, uh, you know, really getting into full magic like stereotype um, garb. Like even sometimes seeing like cars in the parking lot that have like, you know, so and so, the magical wizard uh, with like decals on their car. On the side, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely that element. Um, I would say. There's different levels. There's all sorts of levels. It's like when you go to a Comic-Con or any other convention, too. You have the people that are, you know, kind of dabbling, the people who are hardcore into it, right? Right. <laughs> so In Star Trek, they call it the Trekkies versus the Trekors, right? And the Trekkies are the ones that, like, dress up as the characters, I believe. I don't, I've never heard the other term, Trekors? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> Trekkies or Trekkers. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But... I think I just saw that on TV one time. I don't know. I've never really watched Star Trek. <laughs> I'm shocked you knew Star Trek. So, <laughs> so yeah, and there's definitely definitely like what's nice about it is you have people who've been doing magic and who are professionals and at that level, uh, not only lecturing and who are booked to perform and and present, but you have professionals that come and attend and that are in the audience and you know just to again network and see friends from long ago but you also have people who are new to the hot as some of it treated as a hobby which is not a bad thing but like just they don't necessarily perform professionally but they just love magic and you know they're you know maybe learning a new trick just to show their friends and family, you know, just to have that going. So you get to intermingle and lots of people come up and they ask questions. And, you know, I had a nice debate with a uh, younger magician about like 
artistry and magic and stuff that we talk about here on the podcast, stuff mm-hmm. that we love talking about, but you don't, you know, necessarily for the broad audience that comes to these conventions, not everyone's necessarily thinking at that level of, uh, you know, detail of theory and performance theory like that. But um, some some just are there for the tricks. <laughs> Some some of the greatest innovators in the world in magic were hobbyists or are hobbyists, Absolutely. not professional performers. Right, right, you right. Know? Ed Marlowe, yeah. to name, Jai Vernon, just to name a, a couple from the past. I mean, weren't really full-time professional magicians per se, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, still contributed more to the art forum than, than gosh, has anyone published as much as Ed Marlowe, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. There you go. So whether you love it as a hobbyist or as a profession, magic's a pretty cool thing to be involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a little magic session myself this weekend. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. That With who? Well, you know who because I shared the phone. I know. Right? I'm just trying to set you up because it's, <laughs> it's someone you look up to, you know, one of well, your yeah. mentors. <laughs> yeah. No, anyone who's seen my show in recent times, you know, knows that I, I talk about Jeff McBride during the show. And uh, we got together and we hadn't seen each other since, you know, the whole pandemic started. Yeah. Because we used right. to get together somewhat regularly to kind of do this, to kind of session, go back and forth and, and share magic because something we enjoy doing. And um, but the cool thing about this particular time getting together, not just the fact that it had been a while, he said, Matt, there's a, a magic shop down the road from me hmm. and they've got a great collection of books. Nice. Do you want to go? I said, let's do it. So after we had session for a bit, we we headed over to a, a magic store, and I believe it, it's, I guess, Trick Supply. So if you're in Vegas and want to go to a real magic shop, look up Trick Supply. Mm-hmm. And they're open, I think, five days a week, just close Sunday and Monday. Now, mind you, I didn't even know we had a real magic shop, and my expectations were sort of tempered when Jeff said they have a great book collection. I'm like, okay, great. Right, because but I normally- wasn't expecting. In yeah. Vegas, they have well. You used to have a, like a legendary w- magic shop that since closed. We had know. lots of legendary ones right. that have since closed, right. and then we even had the tourist type magic right. shops. That's, That's what I was gonna say. Is for those of you going to Vegas, you could probably find like a Houdini's or these ones. Those that are, are gone now, and kind, I didn't know that right, either. Those are gone, but there are similar types of those where they're kind of geared towards tourists to just buy a trick, learn a trick, and just like you know have a. A, a piece of Vegas to go home with, right? They sell the fake, the fake dog poo. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like a gag store or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But to find a real quality magic store, I feel like Vegas has been missing that for a while. And you're saying I was blown away. One. Yeah, I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. I walked in. Jeff and I walked in, um, which is an interesting, you know, dynamic. When couple, two yeah. legends or like a Vegas headliner and a master mentor. Uh, yeah, the, yeah well the part known. that makes it interesting is the generational gap, right? It's like right. a weird couple to walk in, right? <laughs> so the, the guy behind the counter, like, you know, didn't know exactly what to make of it. Um, and uh, he was great, and he's he's there five days a week running the shop, and we also met with the owner there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, it's a showroom, buddy. You got to come. I know you're coming to Vegas next month. We got to go to this place. Oh, yeah? It's like a oh, whole, yeah. do they I do mean, performances and whatnot in there? We didn't actually see any performances per se. A couple of a couple of things came out of the glass case and were played ah. with, you know, and kind of demoed a little bit. 
Um, oh, that kind oh. of showroom. I see what you're saying. I thought you meant like a showroom, like like theater, like with shows. No, not at okay, all. Cool, cool, like cool. magic shop, walk in, and there are linking rings yeah, yeah, and yeah. like the old school Mac magic boxes mm-hmm. and head mm-hmm. twisters. And like that, I, I miss all that. I right. love that cheese, mm-hmm. you know? I love prop magic. Um, and it's all on display as if you're walking into like a tannins. Yeah, these brick and mortar magic stores are kind of uh, rare these days where you can walk in and you have a demonstrator who's just literally pulling things out of the glass case to show you some things here and there, trying to sell you, uh, you know, the latest thing. And there was a personal touch famous for a lot of, uh, you know, brick and mortar stores where they would get to know the customer coming in, what would fit them and kind of you know, gatekeep a little bit to be like, oh, that's beyond your level or you might like this better. This is more suited for you. And you don't really get that personal touch as much with these just online magic shops where you can just buy anything really. And no one's really giving you the advice or guidance anymore. So right? I thought this was an online magic shop. I had actually bought things from there. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, wow, these ship from Vegas. I thought it was like a warehouse, right? <laughs> I had no idea. And, right. um, you know, it's hard to get the word out, obviously. And I was mm-hmm. talking to Wolfgang, the owner, and he said, they get a lot of tourists coming in. Maybe they come into town. Mm-hmm. They maybe see a magic show or whatever. They think, oh, we're in Vegas. Let's go to a magic shop. And they do a little Google, and this is what comes up. And then they end up there. But he said he's not seeing a whole bunch of locals coming in. And I said, well, look, I'm a local. I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know about this. But, um, yeah, check out Trick Supply in Las Vegas. It's on Sunset, and it's close to the airport, not far from the Strip. There's really no reason if you're a magician to not swing by. They do have a, a fantastic book collection and tons of inventory. I mean, you could open one drawer uh, in the back, a little tour of the back, mm-hmm. like the where they have all the, the stock and inventory. And it's like you could open one drawer and build a whole show out of that one wow. drawer. It's, uh, it's unbelievable, this stuff. And stuff I haven't seen, certain props and things that are like discontinued that I haven't seen since I was a kid. It's really, uh, he's quite the collector. It's very, very cool. And with a name like Wolfgang, you have like two choices. You get into magic or like compose music, right? <laughs> like yeah, it. or restaurants. Yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. There you go, three, <laughs> three choices. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's great. Is this gonna be a regular visit now for you? I would, I mean, look, it's not like I have um, a whole bunch of time to kill to just be doing right. it, but I mean, I would love to. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, w- I 100% want to go back, like I said. Uh, nice. When you when you come into town, I'd lo- we should we should swing in. Yeah, that sounds fun. That's you know great. if you're if you if I'm gonna go, you know, I look they do have an impressive book collection. So I was thinking, you know, if I need something, I'll go in there get it, support the support the brick and mortar. You know. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice, man. Yeah. Um, I've been traveling a bit. I was in uh, Georgia doing a show just this week. Flew down, did a show with uh, our good pal Derek Hughes. Now, so how does that work? It's always fun when you're on the road and you can do a joint show with a friend who you haven't seen in a while. Now uh, you knew you knew it was a joint show going in. Yeah, uh, but also managing expectations. There was a uh, some of their advertisement. It was very funny uh, that they were billing the show as Derek Hughes and Eric Diddleman, hypnotist and mind reader. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so a lot of people coming into the show are like, "Are you gonna hypnotize?" And Derek's like. Yes, I've already hypnotized you into thinking I'm a hypnotist. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so he had to kind of change expectations a little bit, and uh, you know, 
he just did a show and people were loved it. I mean, he's so funny. He is so it's so great to see him work. But the way it worked was um he was actually flying out that night to get back home to uh, do an event with his uh you know NC family. But um so he was just like, Can I go first? And I was like, Yeah, as long as you're not so good I can't follow you. <laughs> and uh, so he did forty five and then we just transitioned over to my show right away and you know, just kept the kept the thing going, and uh, we used. So it wasn't the, a back and forth. No, no, no. It was kind of his set, and then my set. But he stayed through the end, and then just went to the airport after. You know, we did a little meet and greet and chatted with the the audience members that were there, and uh, it was it was yep. great. Yeah, it was a really, really, really fun stuff. And uh, again, it's a rare occasion where. You get to uh, see people on the road when you're traveling, so it's always a nice surprise. But what was um, interesting to me was uh, I was a little jealous. I was like, Derek did this right. He he just went to the airport, kind of hung out in the lounge. This is all behind-the-scenes stuff. Got an Uber to the gig and then Ubered back, and I was like, I got a hotel, a rental car, and I was right, like, with right. g- with gas prices today too. I was like, yeah. and having that, it's like I really got to reconsider this whole rental car thing, right? And, and wonder like maybe there's a more efficient way. <laughs> yeah, to get depends there. on the gig and how far it is from the airport yeah. and or right. from the hotel or whatever. You know, you gotta you gotta weigh all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, for me, I got in super early, so it was nice having a hotel so I could like you know nap since i had an early morning flight and uh you know get rested for the show so i don't regret it but i'm like maybe maybe as i'm booking these travel arrangements for these upcoming shows figure out do i actually need a car is it close enough especially like being in the city of atlanta like yeah ubers and lifts and all that stuff are pretty accessible now when i'm gonna be in like north dakota next week i fly in and the gig is like an hour and a half away. So I'm not going to take a long Uber that you're famous for doing, Matt. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so it's just, uh, it's, it's figuring out that the logistics of the travel, especially as, uh, as the, you know, gas prices, man, they're going up, going up. Yeah. It's a good time to be electric. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've seen them. I can't believe how high everything mm-hmm. is now. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Derek's joke writing, it's really inspiring. There's like, uh, there's, I always get these one liners that I see every once in a while. And I just kind of put them in my echelon of like really like top tier amazing jokes. And there's one in his show that just kills me every time. And it's just so good. And I don't want to repeat it because I'm not going to do it justice. But uh, right, right. It's, uh, <laughs> it's really great to see him walk, uh, work, and then just seeing again that comedy club experience and. He's got it set up right, man, where he just walks on with a bag on a stage like you can do at a comedy club. <laughs> you know, I was doing my full finale that requires four chairs and they don't really look kindly on you at, at comedy clubs. If you want to just be like, all right, can we set up the stage and have four chairs brought up now? Right. And like, so <laughs> I was the mentalist and I felt like I had more like stage setting than he did. <laughs> You didn't feel like it. You did have I more did, stage I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> so it it is a good lesson. Like if you want to be able to pack small, play big, as they say, and be adaptable, like you can work all just out of a case and be ready to go on any environment, which is uh, it's nice. It's nice. I do take pride whenever I can pack super small. Yeah, I do. I I think there's a double edged sword here, though. I I mean every magician all the pros even at these conventions they're always like pack small play big but like 
don't do it at the sake of your performance or astonishment or an effect if you want to do it. Like, go the extra mile if it's going to add value to the show. Right. But if you can balance the two and do both where you have that value and amazement and can pack small, that's nice too. But don't don't let that be the goal because I see that go the opposite way, like taking two to heart and be like, well, I'm not going to do that amazing thing because I need things to travel well. And it's right. like, well, now you're just kind of sacrificing that integrity uh, and your audience's experience if you can play something big. You know what I mean? Right. You know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, It's yeah. true. Yeah, it's like you got to – There's a, there's there are compromises that have to be made based on, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. what you're adding to the show versus what value it has, how, how, how difficult it makes the logistics, and whether or not the value is worth it. And you like, got to weigh those things out. And the only way to do that is to try. You can't just always pack small. You have to sometimes right. stretch your boundaries a little bit and see, okay, is this for me? I think there's these axioms or, you know, idioms in the professional world that a lot of uh, people take too to heart. Like they think that is law and where, you know, it applies to certain situations and you're, it's okay to break these idioms every once in a while. Like imagine people coming to your show and you, Matt, were like, oh, I got, it's got to play pack small but it's like no they're there to see you do a vegas show so you have some large elements oh right (laughs) Right? big dumb things that i could only do with a residency exactly exactly (laughs) but you're not gonna just be like oh i i've always got a pack small play big and just bring out a bag and work from just a bag for a vegas show right no it's like people didn't come here to see the old college show they like if you have a residency if you have the ability to like do things that you wouldn't be feasible uh, necessarily all the time on the road and so on, then yeah, like it, it, invest in those big dumb things. I shouldn't call them dumb, but you no. get the you no, get the yeah. gist of what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone someone actually said that to me recently. It was like, just love that you have big dumb things that like you couldn't <laughs> do otherwise. But that's that's the truth. And they were serious. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Yeah. And I know performers that go the opposite direction too that are just like, I'm gonna put the most complicated thing because it's gonna raise that magic element it's like i don't mind doing the work and you right. know uh you know leaving my mark on a stage if need be or altering certain things in the venue uh you know things that definitely don't pack small uh to get right. a to, to maximize the moment of uh amazement for the audience so you gotta be smart if you're doing table hopping don't <laughs> go the extra mile to do the one bit that requires 30 minutes of reset no yeah not not the right environment for that yeah or if <laughs> you're going to table to table don't bring out your song and half illusion <laughs> and wheel that from table to table and be like can someone jump in the box <laughs> i i will tell you i'm always jealous of you know stand-up comics i mean look mm-hmm. hypnotists don't have any props either they just require nothing i just feel yeah. like there's such a level of class when you can just walk in mm-hmm. and do and do whatever it is I'll, like even just for example, walking into Ellen and I had to go by myself with COVID and everything. It's not like I have anyone with me. And like I just had a small little shoulder bag type thing. Very yeah. small. And you walk in and the guy's like, where's your stuff? And I'm like, I got it. It's right. You're looking at it, man. We're ready to rock. Yeah. You know, because they're used to magicians walking in with like contraptions. Mm-hmm. So I just mm-hmm. feel like there's a level of class if you can walk in without, yeah. you know, birds spilling out of your sleeves and whatnot, you know. Yeah, so I think I think the lesson here is that axiom applies to certain situations. So we like both 
ends of that spectrum, but right, but know just when pl- to do it. Yeah, know when to do it. That's yeah. the, that's how to approach it. So yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, man. Well, it's trivia time or yeah. uh, riddles. Let's well, I was gonna say I saw the Batman. I don't have much to say because I don't want to spoil it. But the Riddler is obviously a big part of that movie, mm. and I'm not gonna do the riddles from the movie because again, I don't okay. want to spoil it. But it did get me in the mood to do some diddle be this. So let's go to diddle be this. Diddle me this. Diddle me that will Eric end up stumping Matt Riddles. All right, here's your riddle, Matt. Two people were playing chess. They both won. How is this possible? Two people are playing chess. They both won. How is this possible? I don't think it's a tie. Right. I believe they both, they both won, won yeah. because they're, they were playing two games of chess. That was the fastest you've solved a riddle. So it's they were playing different games against different opponents. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and they All both right. won. Now, there is uh, a, a great mentalist demonstration, uh, but I also think like it comes from Bobby Fischer used to do this, playing multiple games at once. And uh, I won't go into the methods here, obviously, because this is public... Uh, public uh, podcast anyone can listen to, but the mentalist demonstration of it, which is very fun and very clever, is you have a circle of chess tables and you're playing, one person is playing multiple games and the mentalist can kind of guarantee that they will end in a draw. They'll win as many games as they lose Uh, and it's really, really fun. But obviously if you're a Bobby Fischer level player, you can try and guarantee you'll win all the games <laughs> right so anyway that's a fun mentalism presentation especially for a chess person uh but um the other thing i love playing are like do you do like do you play chess matt no i've never played in my life do you know how to play no no idea okay maybe i'll teach you when i come okay to Vegas. i know checkers but i feel like chess is like it's a little more, more advanced uh but there's uh puzzles that you could do in chess once you know how the pieces play and you kind of set up boards in certain ways and try and solve the puzzles so if you're into puzzles and riddles like i am check out those chess puzzles i'll recommend them but let's jump over to trivia, Matt. Here we go. Matt picks up the question, then he stares at it. Eric's at the ready, time to use his wit. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Trivia, pressure, trivia time. Uh, the category today is violent art trivia. Violent art trivia. Yes, sir. Violent art are not two words that I normally associate together. (laughs) But they can associate. Okay. What artist was struck in the face with a mallet by an envious rival, disfiguring him for life? Wow. I don't know. I feel like I would have heard about this, and I don't know this off the top of my head. Um, What artist was struck by a mallet by an envious rival and left him disfigured for the rest of his life? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. What are the choices? I'm gonna go with choices right away. Rembrandt. Mm-hmm. Raphael. Mm-hmm. Titian. Yeah. Am I sure. saying that right? T i t i a n. Yeah. And that's Michelangelo. Sure. All right. So we're talking about Renaissance painters. This is why. Uh, this is probably a detail that's been uh, glossed over <laughs> from because those those masterworks from back then are usually the focus. 
Obviously, you got Michelangelo, Sistine Chapel. You hear about him being up on the ceiling painting. Raphael. We're just going through Ninja Turtle painters at this point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is it Titian? Titian? I'm pronouncing that. I've seen it before. Yeah, I'm not sure how that. Yeah. And who was the fourth one? Rembrandt. So it's Rembrandt, Raphael, Titian, Mi- Michelangelo. I don't know this off the top of my head, so this would okay. be a complete guess. I don't think it's Michelangelo. Although I'm sure he would have had many rivals. I know he caused quite a stir with his last judgment and depiction of that. And he kind of like had a contentious relationship with like the church. But I'm leaning towards Rembrandt and Raphael. And for some reason, I have a just an image in the back of my mind of Rembrandt maybe looking, and I feel oh bad boy. for any dis, uh, <laughs> any descendants of Rembrandt if I'm wrong on this, <laughs> but maybe looking a little disfigured in some pictures, maybe some self portraits he did. Okay. So, uh, but uh, but or, or am I confusing him with Raphael? I'm gonna go. Hmm, two Ninja Turtles are in here though. <laughs> I'm gonna go Rembrandt. Let's see what happens. Rembrandt. <laughs> okay. Uh, Raphael was my second guess. Okay, I'm going to read you the answer. Okay. While studying at the Academy of Ancient Art, Michelangelo wow. not only developed his genius as a sculptor, but also excited the wrath of his rival, Torregiano, who struck him with a mallet, crushing the nose on his face and disfiguring him for life. Wow, I didn't know that. I had never heard of this before. That's fascinating. It is, and it's one of those things where I didn't know if you'd know before I even gave you the options or uh-huh. hadn't heard of the story either because I had never heard of that. So Now, are we sure it was a mallet and not nunchucks? Because I'm pretty sure <laughs> Michelangelo has nunchucks on him. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, no, I think according to this, it was a mallet, but it was a long time ago. Things could have got messed up in the game of telephone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh you got the very easy riddle. I got the difficult, or I did not get the difficult trivia. You sound so bitter. I am a little upset. I'm very upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, what's up with your new dog? Wow. <laughs> I want to know about the new dog. <laughs> wow. Opening the can of worms. Yes, we have a new member of the family yet to be named. Tiana oh, okay. set the deadline for today. She really wants to have a name sorted out. Okay. So we can't like ask our listeners. To like submit we could, it. we could, because you know, just because the goal is to mm-hmm. have a name by the end of today, yeah, we know how goals work on this podcast in particular. Because <laughs> at the end of every episode, we go over goals and try to hold each other accountable, sometimes to no success at all. So we'll see. Yeah, no, we definitely are open to suggestions. Um, if you want to send a suggestion in, send me a, a message on Instagram. Say the word "funky" first, mm-hmm. then I will open it immediately. And whatever your name suggestion is. Now we have three dogs now. So it's Pip, Pongo, and TBD. It sounds like it's got to be another P name. A lot of people are pressuring for that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people pressuring for the for the third P. But it's hard to like make it not sound like Pongo or Pip. That's true. It's got to almost end in an E, like Pip, Pongo, and Pinky. Not that, but you get the idea. I just could totally read um, Pinky now. Yeah, it's from the same rescue where we got um, Pip and Pongo, actually. Oh, great. And they had reached out to Tiana just a few days ago, and they had an adoption set up, and it fell through. And they called her and said, hey, we know you're um, really into small dogs. This one is really small because he's just over a pound right now. 
Yeah, maybe we can put a picture of the dog up on our socials. We certainly can. can. There, he's already on your socials, so if you want to check yeah. out at Matt Franco, you can he's see. Out, he's, yeah, he's adorable. adorable, and his personality is amazing. He's so far, like, self-working, if you will. Like, you put him outside, he immediately goes to the bathroom. You put him on the, on the ground, like, sit on the rug with him, he immediately wants to play. You put him, like, on a blanket, he goes to sleep. Like, he literally ah. just does everything perfect <laughs> so far, which to me is unheard of. My yeah. other dogs were not like that at all. Um, even to this day (laughs) so so far so good with the personality of the pup we're uh we're really excited and over the moon about it frankly how many animals more can you have in your household is there a limit i don't how many are you gonna put into your show are you gonna get one into the show eventually probably not okay all right yeah i I don't necessarily i don't love that i don't love Mm -hmm. you know when they have to be put to work i like them to just live and enjoy gotcha um because we work hard. We work yeah. every, every six nights a week right now, so it's yeah. a lot. Oh, here's the other thing, because mm. the cat's name is Bl. Do we have <laughs> to do three Ps, or could we do two Ps and two Bs? I mean, that's not really the cat's name, though. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Why do you say that? That's what you call the cat. What's the actual cat? It's Miko, right? That's what Tiana claims is the name, but the truth is we both call him Bl. So, <laughs> but you open up an interesting can of worms, because... It could be two P's and two M's, or two P's and two B's, or All three right. P's. What do you vote? Uh, I I think dogs should you should keep the pattern with the dogs. That's what I'm saying is P's. But we should throw it out to our listeners. So if you have suggestions, you can message Matt at Matt Franco on socials, or you can email us at mightovermagicpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> we have some contenders. Pepe is a strong contender. Mm-hmm. That's good. I like Bonzo too. Oh, all right, that's fun. So there's a P option and a B option, and I don't know if it'll end up being either one. So there you have it. There we go. Um, I'm gonna bring this back to Nemcon for a second because okay. I'm still thinking about Garrett Thomas's lecture. There was another, and I bought his lecture notes. Uh, but there was another element of his lecture I really liked. That was, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, and I haven't finished reading the lecture notes, so I only have one example. But he talks about taking, uh, how to approach um, troublesome participants and turn them onto your side. So mm-hmm. it's a really clever, he does mostly close-up work. He doesn't really do stage. He does a lot of bar magic and kind of like, he has people around him all the time. But one example he gives is uh, that person that... Um, you know, you hand them like a coin or something, and in their process of giving it back to you, they make it vanish with a little sleight of hand that they know, right? So he's like, there's two parts that two ways you could really approach this is one, if you call out the guy, you're kind of like putting him in his place a bit, right? Which is he doesn't recommend doing that because now you're teaching them how to how he should react to your magic when you're performing mm-hmm. so that it's you're saying it's okay to call someone out and show you know hey you did it this way i'm the master magician how dare you try and upstage me that kind of attitude which is not the attitude to approach but he's like instead he's trying to connect with you and showing that he knows a little magic he's respecting what you do he wants to let you know that he knows magic so he's like you could use this for your Example. So in this example where he's giving the coin back and making it vanish, he pretends to take it and really feels like there's a car, a coin in his hand still and is really playing that up 
and then makes the him part of the magic, right? And he goes now, hey, you know, you see that coin you just gave me without explicitly saying that, and then shows like with your, you know, magic gesture or whatever the participant wants to be a part of it, you make it vanish, and then he shows his hand. He's now brought him into the effect. He's really using the vanish this guy did as the method, but then still taking ownership of the effect and taking power of that magical moment himself. And then, but also being like, hey, thanks, we're doing this together. We're working together. But let me show you the advanced level in a way of how to how to approach this. And I thought that was really, really clever. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if you have any thoughts on like how. Yeah, of course, immediately. Yeah, yeah. it's just well, really, really a great way to do it in a non-antagonizing way to get someone who could be an antagonizing situation onto your this side. This is so interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, props on the lecture topic. I think it's a great lecture topic. Number two, yeah. though, I don't recall ever a time, and maybe I'm just forgetting, and it's very, very possible that that's the real answer here, but like, I don't think I've ever had someone vanish a coin and give it like <laughs> as they go to give it back to me Yeah. in like an actual show scenario. I don't recall that ever happening. Um but however, it is a great example. I'm assuming that like happened to him once or maybe because he lectures and performs for magicians, it happens to him more often than it would to right. someone else. Um, but I can understand the sentiment of it. Like, you know, that's the equivalent of asking for a hundred dollar bill and someone doing that sort of like dangling the carrot where they go to hand it to you and like think it's funny to pull it away. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Or you give someone a deck of cards and they want to show you all their fancy flourish moves. You Again, know. never have it happen. <laughs> 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 um but yeah right um uh, i think the the key is to deal with it with with empathy understand this person uh, oh, 99 of the time this person is trying to contribute to the show mm-hmm. they, they think right. they're making it better by doing whatever it is that they're yelling out whatever it is that they're doing i think dealing it with empathy is important and like that like for me almost solves all the problems and the other part is dealing with it with humor. And I don't mean be funny. I don't mean like actually being humorous. I mean, in your own mind or in my own mind, laughing it off and understanding that like, this is okay. This is not something we need to be upset about that's happening. Instead, we need to just be reacting to this in real time and have Mm -hmm. fun with it. So like, you know, maybe the guy vanishes the coin before he hands it back to you. It's not like he pretends to hand it to you, but he just vanishes it. In that case, it's different on every scenario, but maybe you react and go, wow, this is really unbelievable. I could just take the night off. Yeah. Right. Whatever your line is. Um, or maybe I I love the fact that he goes to hand it to you and it's not there and you pretend like it is and you vanish it. And now it appears in his hand or you say, reach in your left pocket to the guy. And he knows now he knows the subtext of, Oh, now I'm going to pull it out of my pocket, even though it's just in his hand. Right, 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 Um, right, right. You know, I love that. I don't know that I'll ever have, I, I never say never. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'll ever have the opportunity to do it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that is 100% the way to deal with it. Um, but if you're the right character, you could, you your character might be to say, you know, it's in your other hand. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> And that, right. that flex might be the right move in the right comedy club for the right performer with the right audience. I don't know. Right. With the right volunteer that can handle it, right? Depends. I, I like that he he's implying that if you call them out, it's setting up a pattern for them to do the same to you, though. So like, it it's it's turning what people I think could just turn like an antagonistic situation, and how totally. do you turn this around and make it part of the show and make them almost the star themselves, right? Yeah. Uh, and he has I again I haven't finished the lecture notes. I'll put that as one of my goals uh, to 
today. But uh, it's just he has different types of kind of participants that are trying to quote mess with the show when they're not really that's not their intent but he Never. labeled them in certain ways so this is the he, he doesn't call him the vanisher he uses a magic term which i won't use but uh and then there's other types of participants in the whole lecture notes is how he manages each of those different types of you know quote hecklers even though they're not heckling per se yeah just remember remember that their intentions are almost always good and even if they're bad it's coming from a place of insecurity in, in themselves right that right, you right, need right. to help to hope to try to make feel better or you know get them off stage as seamlessly as possible but so the guy vanishes a coin right Mm -hmm. and now your the your performer brain is going oh i can't move on until i have the coin i can't move on with this routine until Mm -hmm. i have the coin back i need it back now i need it back now right that's what our mind is doing on the inside and then the guy's just let's say he's staring at you blankly it's not because he's trying to prevent you from moving on it's because he's going Oh man, now the coin is in my left hand. How do I make it reappear? I never learned that part. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's what's going on in his head, most likely, is how do I bring the coin back? <laughs> not <laughs> not, oh, let me tank the whole show by preventing him from moving on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're thinking, how do I make this coin reappear? Most likely. <laughs> <laughs> Does my hand look awkward? Does everyone know where it is? Oh man, this isn't working <laughs> the way I hoped it would. So like now it's your job to help him learn how to how to reproduce the coin in a way that's going to be entertaining and play well right. maybe for a room of hundreds of people that can't even see the stupid coin yeah i think right the 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 biggest takeaway i had from this and again it's just one example but again the 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 structure the the thinking behind it is what i find most fascinating is there's so many like you're saying you're if you're in that mindset of like i've just got to do my show and it's on the rails and now this derailed it and now this guy's i'm upset at them for derailing it like that's a bad place to be as a performer and i think being present and willing like this is why i do improv and why i think improv is so important for all performers is if something happens that it goes off the rails a little bit or goes in an unexpected way to just be like okay we're gonna yes and that moment now 100 percent, right and we're gonna add to that and we're gonna make this part of the show it's not an antagonistic like even though at your first instinct might be this is guys trying to mess with me you'd be like all right how do i what is he trying to doing understanding the mindset of that person like you're saying in, in if there's insecurities or whatever you're saying like that but how do I then I'm the master performer, right? I'm the guy they came to see. How do I, by making them look good, I look good. And that's an improv uh, axiom as well. Make your scene partner look better than you, you know? <laughs> uh, or, and if you're all doing that, you're all going to rise to a higher level. Um, so I just think that's so important to be present, go with the flow, adjust when need be. And you can always go back to the script or the way the show is supposed to be. And I've said this many times on the podcast. The reason we go to live performances is to see when those moments happen. Otherwise, we just watch a recording of a movie or anything because it's going to be the same the entire time, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, comedy and magic are very delicate. And sometimes you're manipulating sound and silence. There's a pause for silence before you deliver the next line. And anything can derail it in that moment of silence, whether it be something intentional someone yells out or or maybe someone yells something out as you're delivering a punchline or maybe someone sneezes at the wrong time mm-hmm. and it throws off the cadence. And now that bit doesn't work anymore, right? right. But that's fine. You just have yeah. to 
laugh it off and I'll say, okay, we're moving on. That That's not going to land the same way now because this happened and we all felt that. Does right. that make sense to you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or a waitress spills a drink or, you know, something, something diverts and now we're not in that same rhythm that we had. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily something intentional, mm-hmm. but it's, but it's live. It's what's happening now. And now we need to, we need to be flexible in that moment and, and understand, yeah, that bit's not going to work now. We've got to move on now, you know? Yeah. I like the, that idea of being able to adjust, um, just because, Again, it's, I see it with comics all the time, too, is if they have tags to a joke that bombs and they still do the tag. You see that a lot of magicians do that, too. It's like, no, you got to hear the audience, what they're giving you. And the, if it didn't, if the first joke didn't land, you referencing that over and over again is just going right. to make it worse. <laughs> so drop right. that, like cut that part right. out and right. go on to the next thing. So it's, again... Being able to adapt and play and listen to your audience and understand intent, I think those are all so important to live performance. Yeah, and then there are instances where you try the tag because it might save the joke. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but knowing when to pull forward and when to pull and it's kind of only gained from, from experience in doing it. Yeah. So There's another element, too, because I've been reading the um, Bob Odenkirk book a little bit, and uh, I just like his approach to some of comedy where – uh, he does blame the audience for a couple things, which is so anti anti to what we know and are assuming of an audience and what we were just saying. But like he's like, when you know whatever Steve Martin had the great line too. It's like what I'm doing is funny. They just don't realize it yet. So like right. I think I think it's there can be you know especially in those incubator phases when you're trying to find the creative and the bizarre and the out there when you're intentionally breaking the mold of what's happened before you. Like you can trust that and be like I'm trying this stuff. I think this is funny. The audience just isn't there yet because their audience expectations are in a different place too, right? Right. So he talks about the 80s comedy boom where everyone was just expecting Seinfeld and Leno and anything outside of that they weren't the audience wasn't happy with because it wasn't observational humor with a guy with their rolled up sleeves and a right. suit, you know, and a blazer and <laughs> But doesn't mean anything they were doing was less funny. It was just a different expectation. So I think I I like that idea of sometimes the audience can be wrong, Mm -hmm. but he's saying that very kind of facetiously a little bit and like trusting your instincts as a performer. So again, like we were talking about a a pack small, play big, there's a spectrum (laughs) of dealing with the audience and knowing when it's appropriate and when to trust their reaction and when not to trust their reaction as well. Does that make sense? I don't know. (laughs) I think, I think it does. And I, I had one thing to tack on to it Mm -hmm. and now it's, it's, and now I'm losing. Oh, I know what it was. Mm. Uh, in magic, uh, anyone who's ever done magic on social media, strong magic, they know people go, oh, this must be edited. If you do strong magic on stage, people think, oh, that must be a plant, right? Right. So I've been using that as an opportunity now. Whenever an audience member does something funny, like they misunderstand a direction or <laughs> anything that's just like not going uh, seemingly the way that it should. I use it an opportunity to point out, you know, people think I use paid actors because people do think that, oh, especially funny. in the context yeah. of a, a big fancy Vegas show. Mm-hmm. I, I use it an opportunity to say, you understand, we would have worked on this part, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it gets a great laugh, but I yeah. think it's not for the laugh. I'm really saying it to also send the message of, look, we're, this is real deal. <laughs> yeah. 
we're yeah. all just having fun yeah, here. Yeah, we're, yeah. This is all in the moment. This is live theater. This is not exactly. predetermined yeah. what's going to happen here. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. And again, it's it's using that moment and taking advantage of it again to show that you are present and in charge and people came and bought the ticket to see you, but without really, you know, doing those heckler stoppers, putting someone in their place and, you know, destroying someone who's like, I'm trying to help. And I think that's so key when comics deal with hecklers too, is you only address it when it becomes a huge distraction. Because otherwise it's like, we're not going to take away from everyone else's experience. And this person might be just thinking they're trying to help as well. So it's a, it's, it's a delicate thing and it's a, it's, it's paying attention and knowing when to use those tools. Right. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Um, Let's jump over to goals. I say yes. I think I've already tackled a few <laughs> of mine. Okay. Uh, mine was to read the Bob Odenkirk book. I am doing that, so my goal is to finish that as well as the lecture notes. Uh, I wanted just to uh, wanted to say, so I bought. I got a signed copy from going to that um, book signing, but I also bought the audio book because I wanted to get through this book pretty fast. I'm about halfway through. I didn't have a whole lot of time to this week to, to actually sit and enjoy the book. But what was helpful is as I was reading the book, if I had to then hop on a train or a plane, I could just hit the audiobook version and continue where I left off and right. I could listen to it and then go back to the book. So even though I technically paid for the book twice, <laughs> I, one, most people wouldn't do this. This is just how my mind works, but it's efficient because then I can just go back and forth from reading, which I like to do sometimes, and then listen to the audio version, which is, I always like when the author narrates it too, because it yes. feels like they're telling you their story. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, those are two of my goals. I'm also going to add, uh, we've been doing these little clips on our social media. My goal is to try and um, mix up the graphic a little bit so it's not that maroon graphic. So maybe okay. like a video of us or anything like oh, that. Oh, there's a video? So, all right, I'm going to flirt with the camera <laughs> a little bit now. So maybe you could use this clip right here. I've been Mind uh, Over Magic, number 88. It's not too late to come and join us. If you haven't heard the podcast, come hang. <laughs> I'm probably not going to use that. <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, I was really working the camera. You were. I know most people, I guess everyone is just listening to this and not seeing it, mm-hmm. but I was really working it just for the record. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. I'll, I'm just going to try and get that up and running. So a little bit more variety on the, the social. So follow us at Mind Over Magic. At, oh, what's our wait? Hold on, that's not our that's not oh our boy. handle. Don't use this part. <laughs> Mind Magic Pod. <laughs> Sorry, Mind Magic Pod on all the socials. So, uh, those are my goals. Your goal was to refine one of the twelve dozen effects because you carried that over from last time. Didn't get to it yet. Great, perfect. Didn't get to it, but I'm letting it marinate. It's got to marinate. I can't. I can't get to it right now. Yeah. So absolutely. I'm so gonna do you let have that any other ride, goals? But I do have a new goal too. Okay, great. What was that? So keep that one on there. Yeah. But also, also got to toss in the. Uh, I've started running a little bit, a few times uh. a week, so I'm going to try to keep that up. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Very good. Well, our plugs. Let me give you the correct handles now. Our socials at Mind Magic Pod. Uh, you can visit us at mindovermagicpodcast.com, where you can email us your thoughts at mindovermagicpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, you could visit all your own personal social media at E. Diddleman and you at Matt Franco. Right, Matt? Yes, sir. Uh, buy tickets to Matt's show, Ticketmaster. Yes, sir. What am sir. I missing? I'm doing all the plugs, I guess. EricDiddleman.com. 
Uh, we did have an email, and I wanted to uh, bring this up just because it was a suggestion on how we sign off the podcast. So oh, you okay. You don't know this is coming, uh, but Merlin writes in. Merlin. Oh, we'll do it quick. The mailbag. I've got mail. Uh, Merlin writes in, signing off the podcast, if you use the podcast name as an acronym, M-O-M, one of you could say, mind your mom. And the other would say, magic out. It would upset the radio people a little that you don't say over. But I think out is the correct way to end a broadcast, as we found out. But no one wants to hear that magic is over anyway. Am I right? What are your thoughts? What is the mind your mom thing? I don't know. Do you want to say mind your mom? That's M-Y-M. Oh, yeah. M-Y-M. Mind over magic. Am I just getting too caught up in the details? It's not M-O-M. I think so. Should we try it? Nope. Okay. <laughs> you were yelling at me for not yes ending your last. What <laughs> I don't know, maybe I could try it. I just don't understand what we have to try. One of us has to say "mind your mom," but like yeah. I don't, I don't understand. M O M standing for mind over magic. So what do you want me to say? You just tell me. Say "mind your mom." I'll say "magic out." We'll end this thing. Mind Let's your mom. Try. Magic out. <laughs> We tried it, we tried it. We gave you the mic.